Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Yasha Kaikis Wolf, president of Lytics, the real time customer data platform, and Eric Ziegler. CMO of Circle CI, a continuous integration platform for engineering teams. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Olivier LeBay filling in for Gil today on our Category Creation Podcast. Uh, we have two outstanding guests today. I'm very excited. Uh, first guest I'll introduce is Yasha. Uh, our second guest is Eric. I will have them introduce themselves. Um, and then during the uh, intro, I'd love to for each of you to share something that the listeners might not know about you, um, along with you know some of uh, you know your current role and what you guys are doing, but something that people might not know about you as well. I'll start with Yasha. Well, I was hoping you would say Eric because I'm actually most excited to learn more about Eric and what Eric is uh-huh. about to. But I'm uh, I'm happy to kick us off. So my name is Yasha Kekas Wolf. I'm the president at Lytics, which is a customer data platform. We can talk a little bit about that category today as well. But I spent the last 20 plus years in kind of the digital marketing space as a chief marketing officer, running uh, product organizations. I've done that at places like Yahoo, at Microsoft, where myself and a couple of colleagues created the Microsoft Store web trends in the social marketing category with Involver. And then uh, most recently, prior to Lytics, I was the chief marketing officer at Mozilla Corporation that builds the Firefox browser. Um, you know, My 20-year career has been really focused on a couple of key ideas. One is when you build a great team, that team is able to work in a very agile fashion and very practically as a marketing organization when you're trying to think about kind of category change and positioning uh, of an organization. You've got to have a team that thinks a little bit more like a product organization that really uses the same tools that a product and engineering team do, understanding user stories, understanding how to cost the amount of effort that goes into specific work that you're doing, and then ultimately being able to predict the outcome. And I've kind of complemented that over the years by really thinking about the infrastructure that a team in marketing and go-to-market organizations can be successful with. And that's really about the technology that helps you better know who your customers are. I think ultimately the combination of very capable teams that can work in a very agile fashion complemented with the infrastructure that helps you scale, puts you in the right position to be able to think about businesses being positioned effectively inside of categories that maybe exist and are, and are forming um, or that don't exist at all. Okay, great. Thank you. Eric, you're up. Yeah. Um, so I too have been on the peninsula for 21 years. I started in 2000. Um, I, was a, I started a really small company uh, that was sending DVDs through the mail at the time. Uh, you may have heard of them. They were called Netflix. Um, and, you know, they actually were a major disruptor in the category creation. It had not been done before. And that's the first time I got to see that uphill struggle of convincing the world that this is a new thing. Um, I was there for seven years, and then I took it to a SaaS product that was one of the first ones to put payroll in the cloud and creating that and all the issues about security and what that in- installed was one of the uphill battles we fought. Then I ran a marketing team at uh, Ring Central took them public. Um, we created the unified communications as a service there. It was when we started, it was business phone systems, VoIP, and taking that to UCAS was the was a category creation. And currently I'm the CMO of Circle CI in the uh, DevOps state world, which is just blowing up right now. And there's a whole bunch of category creation there. Uh, you know, there's there's a nature of disruption and category creation that I love. It really makes the job exciting every day, uh, really uh, new and fresh and 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 really uh, a challenge to accomplish. Um, 
And so I've been building marketing teams for 20 years. I, I currently have been working at Circle CI for about five and a half years now. And um, I'm really excited to talk about this. What listeners might not know about me, my life before the Bay Area was all about living and running around Europe and being abroad for seven years. I even worked with Hugo Boss at their corporate headquarters for two and a half years, um, working for Shell in Budapest and Ogilvy Vineyard in London before selling down the Bay Area. Is there anything hotter than DevOps right now, Eric? I don't think so. Did you see that GitLab uh, valuation? <laughs> I did, I did. They, uh, they used your total addressable market for our market as well. So that was a nice shot in the arm. Um, yeah, so yeah, DevOps is, I don't know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good on your industries. And uh, <laughs> getting into DevOps, I, I knew very little about DevOps six years ago before I met Jim Rose. And, uh, and obviously I've, I've learned a lot and it's pretty hot, yeah. So when you joined, Eric, uh, were you planning on having to build a category? Because the space, I mean, you've been there, what, five years? So the yeah. space was, was fairly young at that point. Um, did you have like a, a game plan? Like, you know, this is the way we're going to win and become leaders. Uh, what was your strategy when you, you started in terms of trying to create a, a brand new category? Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I mean, my CEO, Jim, who's been there seven years, was one of the first things he said. He's like, this is being built. And we have to build this and and it's going to be an uphill struggle um and, and you know he'll tell the story himself much better than i will but you know his first investor conferences that they you know dumb stairs and now it's just like you know, how much you need you know um and so you know and i and i i think we're going to come back to that a lot and i mean patience and and, and encouraging your conviction are, are key on building categories and it has moments of doubt and it has very frustrating moments but if you have done your homework, you have the product market fit, and you can see into the future, you can do this. You just have to have, I'm going to go back to it over and over, the courage of your convictions. Like, just be, be fearless, know you're right, and keep at it. Uh, Bring Central is the same way. We're not a phone system. I mean, we were at a $15 stock price when the street put us in a, a business phone system. And after five years, UCAS, boom, they're $250 stock price. So... I knew it was happening. I had done it before with the UCAS and the Ring Central and even Netflix. Like there's a few people out there who still think Netflix isn't going to be good <laughs> and they won't get off it. And, you know, it's like, come on, like this is, it's defining a category. So I knew what I was getting into. I like it. It's a challenge that I like. And so uh, that's, I guess, why I've been invited to this podcast because I do enjoy it so much. Yeah, we're going to dive into the specifics in a, in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Yasha, can you tell me when you joined Lytics, you know, where, what, so it's a new space, right? CDP is, is, is fairly new and there's a lot of changes there. What, what was your plan uh, coming in as president? What, you know, given that you have such a uh, remarkable background in marketing, like what was your plan? Well, I don't know about remarkable, but that's nice of you to say. So I'll, I'll take it. I appreciate it. Look, the the exciting thing about categories that are emerging is that when you've got a, I think maybe Eric, to your point, when you have conviction on the path that you believe this organization that you're part of can be on, and you start to see the signals with the customers that you're working with that the vision that you have is actually the representation of the value that's that your product can deliver in a category. If you can kind of see those two kind of pieces clearly before you join an organization, or even right as you're joining an organization, it gives you the ability to have that staying power over time. Like when I joined Lytics, I've known the CDP space for a bit. It's very immature overall, in spite of the fact that it's an interesting software category and lots of companies are buying into it. It's very immature from a position perspective. My point of view generally was, 
the confusion is actually an opportunity to start to create more spaces within the category that create distinction and ultimately kind of allow for exit velocity to create category spaces. Um, what gets me excited about the Lytics team, we've got a couple of founders who like know the space, kind of coined the term CDP and really became the inst like the instigators of the, the original category, but they always believed that the category didn't really represent kind of what actually needed to be done, what they could do and really the way the buyers need to be thinking about the category. So kind of everything at Lytics for me was all about the opportunity space combined with the vision that these two founders have had combined with the feedback that the customers have. And, and it puts us in a really strong position as an organization to have, as Eric said, which I think we're probably going to end up coming back to over and over again, like you have to have the staying power. You have to have the kind of uh, resolve that the position that you have is right, because that's where the value is going to be delivered to the end consumer of the product that you have. Um, so I think we're in a, a pretty interesting spot now as an organization. And, and I feel like it's those elements of kind of seeing the vision that you have in a category, how the category can shape out, seeing where the value you can deliver to customers are that can represent that well, and then um, being able to put in place the pieces that ultimately get the kind of representation of the category, which I'm sure we can talk about in some detail in, in, a, in a moment as well. So I noticed you worked at uh, BitTorrent, which is a very interesting company. Uh, were you guys, you know, while you were there from a marketing standpoint, you know, um, how were you analyzing the space? Yeah, because um, it is different than a B2B software. Well, th this was the kind of interesting draw for me for BitTorrent. Like BitTorrent is a guttural internet technology and um, and I think a very important guttural internet technology. It helped kind of spur a bunch of innovation that created a, a kind of a bunch of different kinds of companies that changed a lot of different industries. But the, the company of BitTorrent was a bit of a different challenge, right? The kind of the knowledge of BitTorrent as a brand had a direct relationship into the, what the expectation of the products that were being developed were. And, and the very specific reason that I joined BitTorrent that I worked together with the team there was because I saw um, what the management team at the time saw as an important opportunity, which was to take kind of the effectiveness and successfulness of a technology like BitTorrent and apply that into multiple categories. So our challenge there was really about taking a brand it kind of, uh, maybe synthesizing the brand down to what it actually did, which was deliver a specific value proposition against a technology and then introduce that into multiple categories. So we created uh, a product that is now a standalone and uh, that we called, uh, uh, that was actually, we called it a bunch of different things, but fundamentally it was a, a B2B service that allowed for kind of peer-to-peer -peer data sharing, kind of like Dropbox or Box, but um, working with your own corporate infrastructure, we introduced an ephemeral messaging application uh, that worked on iPhones and, and Android phones. We introduced uh, a, a music distribution service that was powered by artists that used the kind of underlying technology. So maybe a little bit of a, a different kind of opportunity with a BitTorrent than uh, another organization that's really thinking about category creation. It's really about the kind of grafting of the value of the product and the technology into multiple applications across different industries. Uh, it's a bit, a bit of a different opportunity there, but um, I think some very similar types of challenges that you have to work through. Again, it comes down to, do you believe that the product and the value proposition of the product can be delivered in a meaningful way in a specific category? Can you get credit from customers that you're delivering value in a meaningful way in those different industries against those different product lines? And then can you get kind of recognition and representation from the analyst community that in fact, you're doing that, that customers are representing it well, that uh, the product is delivering the value proposition in the way that it, that it needs to be delivered. So there, there's some relationship with brand and kind of brand change uh, to category creation, but I think a very, very distinct set of problems at BitTorrent or opportunities at BitTorrent that we're trying to solve that are different than maybe the, the kind of broader concept of 
uh, creating categories. Got it. Thank you for that. Uh, Eric, so how many categories are you guys uh, participating in right now um, at Circle CI? Depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you talked to Forrester. But, oh, well, I wasn't going to do that. Let's stop. Um, no, uh, we are in, I mean, we're in, a, obviously, DevOps. Right, like it's the it's the buzz term. It's the greatest SaaS thing that happened in the last two years. We are dead center in that. But that's so big these days that now it's like, what what's what's the next thing? There's security in DevOps. There's the version control system, which is GitHub and GitHub. There's continuous integration, continuous deployment. There's there's evolution of that that's still to come. Um, and you know the ultimate goal here is to own the one that's going to last 20 years that we're the number one on and and matching that with the product market fit the future of adoption the future of use and getting in front of that and working and building that and so i spend 10-15% of my time working with corporate com working with pr working with ar working with the ceo working with the founder on massaging taking the temperature where is it heading this is this new concept of change validation the bigger picture, you know, the, the, the analysts want to see a bigger category and where it's going and letting, you know, and there's also, there also has to be mass. You can't just make it up in your head and have no one join it, right? There has to be a, a turning point. And I'm sure we're going to get to this later of when, you know, that turning point happens and how you get there. So, I, you know, we're nimble. We love the DevOps. We've been DevOps for, you know, for, for the existence, but is there something else? Is there more specific category out there that's about this world of, I'm not going to bore everybody with, but network software change validation that everybody's doing, the microsystems, the, the, the microservices, the apps, it's a big Rubik's Cube. Is that a new place, a new uh, category? And the answer is yes. And us getting there is a lot of work over the next two to three years. So you're trying you to shape it? Sorry. I'm sorry. I was gonna, I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up. And Olivia, it sounds like you're, you're going to ask Eric about like, are, are you trying to shape it? I think exactly what you described, Eric, is uh, I think something many marketers have run into, which is you're in a category that's a broad category that can ascribe value in a bunch of different capacities. And part of the opportunity and challenge is that as a business, if it's because your founders, because your technology teams, because your product organizations have a point of view, because your customers are using your product in a specific way, because you're the thought leader in the organization in marketing, you start to see these kind of... Uh, cracks emerge in this broader space. If it's DevOps, if it's in our case, customer data platforms, like we started to see a very specific way that our product was being used. Um, the, the language that we began to use with our customers was, we're not actually deploying a CDP for some of our customers, we're actually helping them solve decisions on behalf of their marketers in a more scalable fashion. So that's really more like a decision engine than it is like a thing that connects together a bunch of data sources. Kind of conversely, we also see uh, some of our customers who use our product to effectively do a reverse ETL, to take data that sits in a structure and bring it into another system. And so we, we are constantly mining for, and I think this is a good takeaway from what I heard you say, you have to constantly mine for the language of value that's being delivered past that product market fit with your customers, because it oftentimes exposes where the cracks are in an industry, where the kind of category around that industry actually is multiple 
industries and you can start to claim ownership because you've got that validation already with your customers. I, I just think, Eric, it's a super, super important call out and, and probably one of the most important takeaways here is that you have yeah. to do the mining yourself. Absolutely. I, I mean, you, you nailed it. Like, and I just want to like plus one that and, and, and say, so I've done this three times, right? So I have some assurance that this happens. I remember the first time, believe it or not, I mean, rewind to 2002 when, you know, Webb Bush Morgan and Herb Greenberg says Netflix is going to die. You know, it's never going to work. We knew that it was because we were listening to our customers and we were seeing our product market fit and we were adjusting along the road. And, and, and I didn't know, and I had fear and, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Saw it break through saw payroll with all the things, no one's gonna put their payroll on the cloud. Pay everything's on the cloud, right? That was back in 2006. Ring Central, unified communications, look at Twilio now, right? So I, I am fortunate to listeners out there, rely on my fortune that I've seen it happen three times. And there's moments of doubt and you have to go, and when you have those moments about, like you just said wonderfully, listen to the language your customer is using and listen to your product market fit to help you regain where you're setting this category up and have confidence that it's gonna happen. The people that report on it, the people, they all have their own agendas. The real truth is the language used and the product market fit that makes your customers happy. And if you can rely on that, you will break through. I've seen it happen. It's just a reason to come to work every day to keep doing that. Yeah, amen. So I've heard from a, a few people, we've, we've, uh, we've had a few uh, episodes, I think we're like 20 or something now. And some people think that you can't create the category, you can't name the category. And, and some people think that you can't, if you're, you know, you're, you're the startup, like you can totally create the category. And some people are like, no, you know, the analysts will, or your customers will. So I'm curious to hear from both of you. Uh, did you create a name for a category or, or was it done by somebody else? And if you could um, highlight that, that would be good. And do you think you can, you know, uh, do it or do you, or do you have to be reliant on your customers or the analysts to create the category? Yeah. Um, nothing happens by accident. Like it really, it really doesn't. So if, it, if it's not you and your organization that are out there kind of claiming the category name, it's coming from somewhere else. So nothing happens by accident. Um, Kind of conversely, like when you are the owner, when you believe with conviction that a specific category exists and you're the one that's carrying the mantle for it, like you can be the change, like and you literally as an organization can make that happen. I was at an organization called Involver. Um, Involver is now a part of Oracle, and Oracle is kind of broad marketing cloud. At Involver, uh, let me tell you like a, a snippet of where it came from. So there was a point in time in Facebook's history where. Facebook was just starting to experiment with this concept that they called the canvas. And the canvas was a way for you to put HTML inside of a Facebook page. It was a personal Facebook page to begin with. So the team at Involver, kind of we said, okay, there's, there's an interesting opportunity there. Why can't we bring in information content from other places and bring it into Facebook? And this is a while ago. So this will sound ridiculous and silly and simple. But on a personal page, could we bring in a Twitter account and a feed of a Twitter account? Could we bring in an RSS feed? Could we you know, bring like, think of all these little potential modules? Because our point of view was, hey, it, Facebook may be built for end consumers and it's about consumer connection to consumers or people connection to people, but invariably businesses, small businesses, big businesses are gonna wanna be on there. So we, we started thinking about how businesses would be able to market on social networks, which didn't exist as a concept, really. And we started first by building consumer applications that sat inside of Facebook on the Canvas page. And the moment that Facebook started to see interest in 
small businesses and bigger businesses pulling in all of this content and representing themselves as end consumers, they said, oh, well, maybe there's an opportunity for us to look at a ecosystem of developers like Involver to allow for social marketing to actually happen at scale and mass on Facebook. So we introduced a concept that we called the social markup language, which was a, a layer of a kind of code, think of like HTML that worked in Facebook's Canvas world um, and allowed for businesses to be able to create kind of some structure for their marketing campaigns, have it land inside of Facebook. And if Facebook changed their APIs, which they did every other week, everything wouldn't break. Um, we called that from the very beginning, even when we were building consumer applications, we called that a social marketing platform social marketing platform, even when end consumers were using it and it wasn't businesses yet. And we stayed and continue to say that over and over again. And oh, by the way, as Involver started to see more and more application adoption and success, other companies that were agencies that were selling to big companies like Buddy Media also started representing this notion of, hey, we're providing a social marketing platform. So like part of this is vision. Part of it's about the language that was being used back and forth with the customers that were using the applications. Part of it's about um, making sure that the language that you're using can also be adopted cooperatively with the competitors in your space, uh, but it can happen and you can be the creator of the category. There's zero doubt. That category doesn't really exist in a meaningful way anymore, right? Like Facebook has changed their model. You can't really, I mean, there, there's like uh, content management platforms that exist that help you in social kind of marketing and uh, our social networks, but really that that whole category existed temporarily, but it happened and it existed because of the vision of the founders of this company, Involver, and because of the kind of foresight that they had to start to think about calling the work that we were doing a very specific category. So it like it can happen. You can do it. Um, you don't have to have other people uh, 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 kind of create it for you. And um, it is absolutely possible for you to be the driver and the influencer. I, I wrote down like just three steps that I think are important for anyone listening. So first of all, do, do, do your do the explicit hard homework. Listen to the customer. I mean, like every marketing podcast at some point says, listen to your customers, but listen to your customers. They are living with the product. They are not trying to sell you something and are distorted in their own internal thought process. Do your homework and understand where your product, how your product is used, what are the terms that they use, and where do they, and, and you know how do they see it, and how's the product market fit. I would also say process it with your in-house geniuses and founders. I know I'm doing a lot of that, right? There's like seven people in my company that they've been in DevOps since they started writing on their Apple IIe. And I come up with this marketing idea. Hey, what do you think about this? And they're like, no, 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 that runs into this. Or the, his, 20 years ago, someone did that and it didn't work. Like, this is hard. Like, as any marketer knows, like, no, you know, the branding game, the naming game, the title game is never easy. Doing multiply that times 10 for a category. Yes. So do your homework, run it by the geniuses. And then there's a, at the end there, I would say, work it, don't marry it. Like, like, you know, you have a long time. Believe me, patience is key here. You're not going to go to Forrest Red Gardner one quarter and go, hey, we created this category. And then two quarters later, they're going to they're going to write the category report. If, if you, if, you know, work it, put the time into it. Don't marry it. If something changes, if something if you hear something that doesn't resonate, maybe tweak it, maybe look a little bit. What, what, why did that miss? You know, but work it like be like, again, courage of your convictions. I will say one of the greatest things in my career seeing on a category creation was Reed Hastings. His simple quote, we didn't call the company DVDs by mail. We called it Netflix. He said that in 1999. We got, we, we, I saw the first streaming 
movie in 2006. So for seven years, that man was like, no, we're going to stream this thing. We're calling the company Netflix. We're creating this category. And I'm going to use this quote over and over and over again. I'm going to stick to my convictions. I'm going to talk to the geniuses. And, you know, we tweaked it a little bit. And, you know, streaming was the word then that wasn't even around then. And, 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 and created that category. So it's, those three steps are fun, are, have gotten me through this process pretty well. Uh, those are uh, very good, insightful um, pieces of advice. So thanks for sharing with the team um, or with listeners, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, analysts, we're gonna talk about analysts. Um, so I'm curious to hear from you guys. Um, you know, when do you start working with analysts? Because right? obviously when you're a small Series A company, they don't want to talk to you. Uh, they're like, get back to me when you got enough customers and we'll, we'll, we'll chat. So curious when in your experience, and I'll start with Yasha, when did you start working with analysts at your previous roles in order to be sure that you could be part of this category formation? Yeah. Um, let me maybe dispel a comment that you made because I don't believe in my experience that to be true. It doesn't matter the size of the business that you are, Series A, pre-C, like pre-revenue, like doesn't matter. Analysts are human. They're constantly doing research. You can't start early enough building a relationship with an analyst. And if your approach is, hey, let me tell you about my company. Let me tell you about my product. Like, it doesn't matter how big and how much money you have. Like, they're not going to listen to you in the same way they're not going to listen to you when you're a startup. So it's important to bring the analyst community in early. And the way that you develop an analyst relationship is the way that you develop a good friendship over time. It has to be uh, jointly valuable. So you should be interested in exploring kind of the space that they're covering. You should be interested in learning about what's happening, what trends they believe are, are taking place. And you should be sharing with them insights about what you're learning. You don't have to have it attributed to you. You don't have to have it attributed to your business, but you've got to pay into that relationship in the same way that you would as a friendship. And that's how you build strong industry relationships with the analyst community. Like It is not about you pumping what your product does and what your company does. It is about you representing what the industry is moving towards, being able to articulate kind of why that's happening, showing examples of that happening. And oh, by the way, if you happen to be able to represent how your organization fits into those trends, and that is not the only story that you're telling, you're going to be a heck of a lot more impactful and a heck of a lot more effective. But like one, like doesn't matter how big you are. Two, you absolutely have to start in the NS community as early as you possibly can. Three, build a real relationship, share value, do not make it about yourself. The moment you do, like it doesn't matter anymore. Hmm. Never heard yeah. that before. Uh, that's that's really good. Uh, thank you for sharing, Eric. I would do. I mean, obviously, good ideas are plus one. So the listening and sharing, Joshua, one hundred percent. Like, man, the first couple meetings with a analyst at the B round, after the B round or A round, I, I just sit there and listen, and they do their their evaluation, and we we you know, um, I as a marketer try to be super quiet in those meetings and listen, listen, listen. It's my product leaders. It's the, C the CPO, the founder, the CEO, the, the head of engineer, the CTO. I'm in my space. It's really tech, right? So they, they are the ones that do the talking and, and give the feedback of what's happening with the product and the space. As soon as I start talking, you can see them go, uh, the market is trying to get me to say this, that, and the other thing. I, I you know, um, my AR is going to work with them off the record and going to look at their points and counterpoint and do all that crap and stuff. They don't need me to kind of give them the, 
the, the, the, the sizzle, right? They don't want sizzle. They want, where's the market going? I mean, I often just put myself in their shoes. They're getting calls from Fortune 5,000 companies who want a quick decision and a very safe and cool decision for for four hundred for $200,000 or whatever it costs. I don't know what they cost. I've never, never bought from one. But anyhow, they so they're conservative by nature. So they are not going to stretch out just yet. They need to build that groundwork. They need to build the confidence to come to where you're headed there and be, be patient. If you think that they're going to listen to you right away and, and make their change, they're not. You need to feedback, show them how the world's changing, why you why this new category is going to be the best for their clients that pay them an absorbent amount of money to tell them which products to buy. It, and, and, and it takes time and they, they, they are risk averse. So you listen, you share, you bring in your, uh, your chief product officer who goes through why we made these decisions. I mean, one of the things that bothers me is sometimes they go to competitors and you just spilled your entire guts to them. So it'd be, you know, I, I've gotten over that. It's happened to me twice and I'm just like, okay, if it happens, it happens. Give them the, you know, show them the picture because that's what they want to know. They want that confidence and that understanding so they can make the gradual turns to the category over two to five years. I'm sorry, everybody, two to five years. You were, this does not happen overnight. So uh, we're going to go in a little bit different direction here because review sites uh, over the last several years have uh, really changed how certain products can get a lot of traction really quickly. Um, and so curious, um, you know, how have you guys leverage uh, reviews in order to, you know, get customer sentiment online uh, and leverage that? And can you leverage that with the analysts? You think they're uh, that data uh, is something that they would take into account while they're you know, creating those uh, those reports. Well, yeah. I, I would say that there's two types of them, right? There's the pay to play. I mean, if you're in marketing, you know that there are some, whoever gives them the most money gets put on the left with the most stars. I'm sorry, I don't like it at all, but it happens. I mean, there's businesses out there that just do that. I mean, back in the day when you could, game the SEO from Google. It was, you had 20 kids just click and like on these things. I mean, those are days are over, but so the beta play, they're fading. People are cynical of them, and, and, but they're still out there. It's the natural review, which I call community, right? So I think about building the community organically, having a product fit and making them happen. Like that's key. Finding the champions, encouraging the champions to post on the review sites, uh, case studies, um, you, you know, understanding, taking the top 10 bad reviews and handing them over to product and going, this is what's killing us in the, in the world. We need to fix these things. I mean, review sites are like market research yesterday for free, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I copy paste reviews, you know, once a year and hand it to product and go, it doesn't get any more primary than this. So the feedback is great. The encouragement is totally we a social community team. I mean, my dev world community and, and, and advocates is huge. I mean, there's a billion dollar industry on community for dev, dev, dev relations. And, you know, how do you get the champions to stick up for you on Reddit? How do you how does that how, how do you get them to write a review? You know, and they don't do it for pay. They do it because they like your product. Um, so, I, I mean, how does that tie to the analysts? Are you talking about when they ask for like five to 10 reviews 
I mean, if you just pick your best customers <laughs> and you, you send them a bottle of bourbon. No, uh, but you know, Mr. Forrester, I didn't say that out loud. Um, you know, uh, so that's just part of that's just part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my, 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 and on top of all that, Eric, is it's probably the inside of an organization in marketing in particular. One of your always on programs is customer marketing, community marketing, and yeah. what's appropriate for the the kind of organization that you are you're always on program with customer marketing is thinking about kind of uh, where the customer's kind of review is going to show up best to help you in support of your go-to-market. And in the case of uh, a business who relies heavily on the analyst community, um, your customer marketing is going to help you identify which are your, to Eric's point, which are your best customers who are willing to represent you with technical depth and, um, you know, lots of business fervor. And, uh, kind of related to that, if you're a business that has uh, the ability to influence your kind of sales cycle and kind of buying cycle by having customer reviews on a site, your customer marketing is looking for the behaviors with your products that's going to incent them spending time on the specific review sites that matter the most. And to Eric's point, like everybody knows that there are pay to play. It's like the the Yelp of old, or maybe the Yelp of now. I'm not I'm not, not a, a small business owner that has a Yelp Never. store, but but I do think that the, this is kind of the the thing that we all hear about. It's like, uh, well, I don't go there to get my reviews because they're tainted because people pay for them to be removed or not or whatever. And I don't know what's true or what isn't, but absolutely in the B two B world, like you can get good reviews up anywhere if you pay for it. Not anywhere in many places if you pay for it. So. That, that shouldn't be a tactic that you're looking at. Your tactic should be built around, how do I understand who my most successful customers are? How am I getting them to provide feedback in a part of my buying cycle that's going to help our business create more velocity? And, and if, as long as that's always on, like you're gonna be able to work your way into building deeper relationships with your analysts as you're doing the reviews that they're asking for customer reviews with. Got it. So is there a moment in time where you, you know, you're like, can you realize that, you know what? We've done it, right? We've succeeded in creating a category. Because um, sometimes it seems like once there is a category and then, you know, there's recasting happening or there's subdivisions of it. It's like, is there ever a moment where you you can say in your career, like we built this category and, you know, for a few minutes, you like, you could enjoy it. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember like it was yesterday. I absolutely remember it was like it was yesterday with Ring Central, you know, for four years. We were trying to get out of the, I call it the, you know, the, the phone folder, like phone systems. How unexciting is a phone system? Even VoIP lost all its charm for a while, right? But unified communications as a service, right? We went for that for five years. We knew before the meeting that they agreed and they were going to write the report on UCAS, right? And I told everybody, easy, don't, don't, you know, don't, we're not going to jump up, you know, take it like with confidence, like, and then when they left, we all, you know, had a beer and slapped each other on the back and was like, it happened. Um, I do like the Jedi mind trick. You thought of this, Mr. Analyst. Like that, that's, that's wonderful. Like, it's just like, what? that's, oh, that's right. Yeah, I, you're so, that's it. You got it. You, the thing, you know, you give them all the credit. You have, don't take any credit. It's, you, you deserve no credit. They were the one that came to this. For their client because the truth is their clients weren't ready for it and now they are and so they're there so take it for what it's worth don't rub it in be happy that they got there we we were very complimentary we we contained our excitement but when it happened it, it it i mean it's like a pivot point like it pff, turns 
when they get there. I had a, a one experience, this dates me quite a bit. Um, I, I love the idea of creating kind of moments in time where you can bring people together uh, to kind of uh, share, say, kind of repeat, in this case, a category or kind of a, the notion of a category that's been kind of uh, evolved and then ultimately created and, and has exit velocity. It was a, a company called Web Trends. Web Trends was maybe the first analytics company around, kind of did log file analytics first, used to buy Web Trends on a, on a CD um, and <laughs> install it, uh, most uh, like early DevOps, right? Um, and when when I joined, we had uh, kind of already been surpassed by Omniture at the time. Um, Omniture was a SaaS delivery vehicle for analytics. Uh, WebGens took its application, kind of SaaSified it, so to speak. And we're looking for a way to kind of bring some of the unique ways that customer data was being collected and, and organized and ultimately being made available. Um, so we began a multi-year strategy to change the terms in the category, the term of art of the category of web analytics into customer intelligence. And over the course of multiple years of getting to kind of an acknowledgement that customer data and web analytics was really about customer intelligence. And that was actually a category where we knew that analysts were starting to write the reports. Uh, we threw an event like a physical event where people actually showed up at. And it was it happened to be in New Orleans and it was the same name that every uh, enterprise B2B company calls their conferences. It was called Engage. And at this event, um, I, I, this was the moment that we knew and I knew that we had turned the corner and this is the way that this product was going to be represented and other products were going to be represented in this new category, customer intelligence. We had not just analysts on stage talking about the category of customer intelligence, we had competitors that we invited in. So we had the Unicas of the world who we were selling against show up on stage and talk about the importance of customer intelligence. We had customers doing the same thing, but it was that kind of in, kind of in the moment, uh, point in time where we all celebrated that we were all working towards the same end, which was to empower businesses with better customer intelligence. And we were one of the products that supported this category, but that, that, um, kind of point in time where you can bring your competitors, the analysts and your customers together and they all say the same thing, it's hard to feel anything but kind of unequivocal success and category transition at that point. Yeah, that's a double, that's a, that's a great point. It's a, it's a, don't look at that as a negative. That, I mean, it's validation. I always say competitors are validation of the space. Yeah. And when, I mean, I mean, listen, UCAS, uh, Twilio helped a lot. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it wasn't just Ring Central, right? Twilio definitely helped that thing become a category. And, you know, it's competitive, but it, take, it, makes, it, it gets the best out of us and it makes the space real when a second big company is using that too. I mean, go all the way back to the beginning, Eric, one of the things you said, you, you got to have the staying power. Part of the staying power is confidence in your vision. And part of yeah. having confidence in your vision is that you can invite your competitors in all because you, like your competitors can solve a problem and they can solve it with customers. And if you can do it better, great, you're going to do it better. But when you bring them together, it has a lot more credibility and, yeah, and absolutely. you only do that when you're confident. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's a fine line. You're not promoting <laughs> them. You're bringing them along, but yes. It's a, and a, a mature marketer can handle that. Like you just, you just, you, you, you know, you, you do it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an awesome point. I, I don't think that gets brought, brought up enough because it's competitor scary. No, it, it does actually help validate the, the space. All right. So we're going to move a little bit uh, different direction. Um, so I want to ask you guys a couple of questions. Um, about your experience as entrepreneurs. And so uh, we'll start with Eric here. What is a hashtag bail moment in your career? Uh, as an hashtag what? I'm sorry, you broke up. Fail. 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 Yes, 
Yes. It's a hashtag fail moment in my career. Leaving Netflix too early? No, that's my personal life. Hi, <laughs> Rita. Sorry, you, you told me I was leaving too early. Um, what's one of my fails? Jeez. Um, well, you know, sometimes I've relied on, I mean, are you talking just general everything marketing? We're yeah. Working into that yeah, world? no, no general in life yeah relying on lead math a little too much so i'm a metric marketer i go by the numbers i have the leslie kilgore the head of marketing at netflix number one line always sticks in my head is when things go a little rough the first place they're coming with the pitchforks is marketing so you need to know your numbers better than everybody else better than finance and i do and i take that to an extreme and sometimes when we start getting into lead math because of the tension between and i'm going to use the word sales not revenue sales and marketing and that natural tension that gets the best out of us works its way through lead math and it, it solves all problems because numbers don't have emotions numbers don't lie well i have once or twice in my career gone so deep in lead math that i lost the forest from the trees that i've lost the customer perspective i lost some of those things i'm i'm deep in the conversion rate of the bottom of the funnel six channels going down from 15 percent to 13 percent when the truth is, is it's because four SDRs left and, and we also maybe lost a little bit of sight. And I've learned that fortunately, you know, Jim's getting me at this stage to check that natural. Like I, it's gotten me this far, lead math and metric driven marketing and, and, and knowing the numbers better than finance. But some of the fails I've seen is I, I index over too much on that. And I got to come back to my creative self and kind of go for hearts and minds. Um, and so that's personally one of that my, my biggest check myself fail over the last 20 years. Thanks for sharing. The, um, I think maybe kind of similar, Eric, for me, um, I'll share kind of two. One of them for me, like, and I say this is, a, this is like an abstraction, kind of multiple instances of this fail, like hashtag fail for me over my career. Um, and, and maybe a takeaway here is that you can never, um, when you identify that you've hired somebody senior in your team and they don't work, ask them to leave the organization fast enough. Fast enough. And, and I've had um, over my career, like three instances in kind of high profile roles where I brought somebody in and truthfully, I think my ego got in the way and said, I can solve the problems that this person's creating and the, the, the shortcomings that they have. Um, without just acknowledging that it was the wrong time and the wrong fit um, for that particular organization. And I, I, I think about that kind of fail lesson fairly consistently now, um, whereas maybe five, six years ago, I wasn't as in tune into it. Um, I, I'd say for me, the, this role that I sit in now kind of oversees all of our go-to-market and our kind of GNA functions and um, kind of most of the organization. And where where I wish I could go back and do it over again. Um, so this is kind of a maybe a fail uh, in spite of whatever successes the teams that have been a part of have had. Um, I really feel like I spent too much energy caring about the discipline that I was responsible for and, and the performance of that discipline, maybe Eric, a bit to, to your point, where now my perspective is uh, marketing is just one piece of the organization working effectively. And 
if you don't kind of win the hearts and the minds to to borrow your words, if you don't empathize incredibly well with how the rest of the organization considers their success and how cumulatively you're all kind of heading towards a few specific goals, um, if you don't really truly empathize with that, um, you can do a lot of damage into an organization. And and I, I think back from what I've learned over the course of the last couple of years and, and really kind of call it a fail over the years that I was too uh, myopically focused on the function and the function being effective and successful as a function, not as a part of uh, the organization overall. Thank you for sharing. All right, we're going to end on this uh, last question. Um, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Joshua, you want to go first? I had to. Th I was on the. I was on the quick think last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is kind of funny and not funny because sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night with a cold sweat of like, yeah. what if I didn't do this? Uh, I so I was I was very young and my first role in the technology world was at Yahoo, and Yahoo is a brand new organization who just gone public. Um, and I quite frankly had no, I was a psych major, behavioral psych, so I paid attention to numbers, but really had no construct of kind of finances. So I like, sometimes uh, you think that you know it all and you think knowing it all is all about, uh, I'm going to optimize taxes this way, or I'm going to hold on to stock this, or I'm going to hold on to whatever that way. Um, I thought that I knew it all early on um, and I made decisions that um, uh probably could have benefited my family in a much different way 20 years later that I wish I could go back and redo over again. But I, I, the lesson for me really was uh, bring people that know more than you closer to you earlier in your career and really rely on them as a sounding board and really rely on them and their advice. Because as much as you have conviction that you're right, the experience and expertise of other areas is going to help you make better decisions. I mean, geez, I, 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 I'm just going to sound like a cop out, but I'm very similar to you on that. I mean, first of all, like the, the joke I had earlier, don't sell your Netflix shares, but, um, <laughs> uh, but that's the one I, I, if I like not ever hire, there's not enough years in your career to be world-class at everything in marketing. There's just not like these people that claim they're lying to you. You just, there's just so much to be, and I'm talking the best, like, you know, top 10 people at it, right? And so what you have to do is hire and trust people that can do those things. I'm still learning that now. Like I'm at this, you know, with two VPs, I, I, I've been providing them too much air coverage. They're really good. They're like, I, I got this. Like, and I'm like, yeah, okay, yes, you do. You're right. You got this. Like, and, and, and you're great at it. And I'm going to let you be great at it. And earlier in my career, I tried to solve everything. I tried to, I, I didn't have the skills to solve everything. And I stumbled and I lost some cachet at places. And, and, you know, it's like, I mean, that old axiom hire better than you at places is really true. It's hard to do when you're climbing up the ladder because you feel like those people are going to come and get you. They're going to take my job. What if I hire that person and they want my role? I want my head of marketing. Want, you know what? Deal with it. Hire better. And if that happens, you, you deal with that at a later time. Because there's just people out there that are as passionate as you are about that thing that can do that. And you can't. There's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough years in your career to be that great and do that. And if I had known, I know that now. I mean, I'm really like, especially at a CMO of like, you know, 700 person company. It's like, 
I, my job is not, you know, it's not putting a spreadsheet together. It's not running the lead map. It's, it's at the highest level and making sure the right people are doing the right things and motivated to do the right things to talk to the right people. And, and now I'm seeing how in the prior, as I was climbing up and coming up to this, that would have, that would have probably solved a couple of problems and a couple of bumps I had along the way. You made me think to ask one more question. So I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Is it possible for a marketer to be both great at brand and community building and at growth marketing? I would tell you from my world, I started out in brand. So Hugo Boss, they weren't doing numbers. They were doing vision, they were doing suits and models. Ogilvy and Mather. I mean, David Ogilvy was the master of the brand. I was with him. Even Shell Oil is a commodity and it was the pectin and how you put it and where you put it and all that stuff. And so I knew enough about brand. What's that, for, that line? Enough to get me in trouble, right? But I also knew that there was people that loved it. And I was finding that I loved the math. I loved the revenue. I loved the growth. And so I learned enough about brand in the first seven years of running around the, the globe and doing all that to know that it wouldn't fire me up as much as I would, and I would have to hire great for that. And so I've hired great for that. Now, I've been doing marketing for 21 years. I, 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 you know, I'm at the 85 percentile on brand, if you had to put a number, put a number on it, look at me. But like, I, I, you know, you, you get good at it, too. But at the same time, like I've chosen to be the, the revenue marketing guy, you know, and, and really be about that growth and, and, and being, you know, the LTV to the CPA and, and all that, and then blending in the, 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 the brand cost. And, but I picked up all these other skills along the way. I picked up enough to hire that expert in there. So that's, that's what I, that's how I've approached that. Yeah, here, here. I, I grew up as a product marketer. And, and uh, product marketing is funny because it, it's neither. It's not brand. Yeah. Uh, it contributes to brand. It's not performance. It contributes to performance. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've kind of tried to develop capabilities in both of those areas. But I sometimes think about challenging that premise of the question in the first place. Like I think that the best marketers, and it gets clearer, Eric, talking to you and meeting you for the first time feels, again, super clear to me. Like the best marketers are the best business leaders first. And they also happen to be the depth expert in marketing as a function that sits at the executive table. And, and that's, I think that, that's the, the want that I have for every marketer that has an opportunity to listen to this podcast. It's like, I want every marketer to be the best business leader they possibly can be. And oh, by the way, you also have to be the depth expert in marketing, but you gotta be the best business leader first. And brand and performance all come as a part of that understanding of the business. That's well put. I'm gonna to have to steal that from you. Depth, that depth and market leader together is key. Well, I think we're gonna end it on that. A uh, couple of highlights for me. Uh, it's never too early to start uh, creating a category and having engagement with the analysts. Uh, you have to be confident in your vision. And then uh, Jedi mind tricks. I thought that was a really, really good piece of advice. Take no credit. Uh, and yeah. so I'm definitely going to use this stuff moving forward. I hope our listeners do as well. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us today. Thank you, Yasha. Thank you, Eric. Um, and uh, have a good day. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 